Let's dance, baby. Let's dance. Colts are in the playoffs, back in the playoffs, 11-5 and five, uh, in a wild, eventful Week 17. God bless the NFL. <laughs> no shortage of entertainment there. Uh, Colts at Bills, Saturday, 1.05 p.m. on CBS. Anytime your team is in the dance, I, I don't know how you don't rejoice a little bit, especially in the chaotic year that this 2020 uh, NFL season and just year in general has been as we now Turn the calendar. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Chris Presley is back. It's been a while since both of us have been in studio. So yes. uh, great to see your face, man. How uh, you, you were in the building. I was. Yesterday. How was that? The atmosphere was, and someone tweeted me a little bit earlier, it was different. And, and everyone knew, and obviously it's going to be a little bit different knowing that if you win, you're in, thanks to the Buffalo Bills for absolutely destroying the Miami Dolphins. Oh, boy. Um, but there was just a, a different energy, and it, and it was fun. And I feel like the, the team fed off it. Darius Leonard doesn't need any more motivation. He's going to pump himself up regardless. But there was just a different buzz in the building yesterday. Yeah, I thought, honestly, the biggest cheer of the first half might have been when they uh, showed the Bills highlights Yeah, up on the, uh, up on the Jumbotron. And they, you know, for our, our, our Jinx crew out there, it seemed like once they showed the Bills highlights, all of a sudden the Jacks. <laughs> Sorry to get back into the game. So we will break down um, like we do every pod, you know, just recapping what I liked, what I didn't like from yesterday. Um, Don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, Chris, just because, and I tweeted this out during yesterday's game. I mean, the barometer from what you just saw on Sunday in an opponent and what you're about to see on Saturday, there might not be a wider gap in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So, like, we won't spend a lot of time, but we still will hit on that. Let's tease beers with Bowen. Yeah. Thursday night. 8 o'clock on YouTube. You know the drill. Um, I think our events page has some details up on the website, or if not, we will send out a link uh, later today about that. But really, there's not a whole lot of uh, pre-stuff you guys need to do. Just log on to our YouTube channel. That's 107.5 The Fan. Subscribe to that, and we'll be live there. And, uh, yeah, we're going to field a ton of questions and whatnot. And um, it's going to be a great time, man. Uh, heavy Bills preview. We will not have a Wednesday podcast this week. Our our second podcast of the week will be the live Beers with Bowen. It'll be interactive. Again, it'll be a heavy Buffalo focus. And I think it's going to be an awesome show. You know, kind of, what, 48 hours before kickoff? Yeah. And the Colts will be done with practice at that point this week. So we'll have kind of all that behind us as they uh, cram into that week. So I can't wait for it, man. And, you know, Kev, just back to the original point when you asked me about the, the building, it was fun to sit there because they then they sh- turned on the Tennessee Texans game. And so the Colts faithful, people didn't really leave. Like, I even heard security like, man, there's a lot of people still here. People stuck around. Unfortunately, the you know, the Titans did end up winning the division. But it was fun to just kind of have a watch party with the fans too. Yeah, that was cool. I, I was glad that they put that up on the Jumbotron and, you know, the Colts players and coaches watched in the locker room. And, you know, Frank Reich was so funny afterwards saying that, you know, we all were looking at each other stunned and said, what coverage was that? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, when, when A.J. Brown caught right. the deep ball from Tannehill, I'm like, well, that's kind of the coverage they play when T.Y. Hilton is, is usually playing against them. So just a crazy finish, but both the top teams in the AFC win. And um, I guess before we get into what I liked, what I didn't like, let's just talk about the goal that was accomplished yesterday, and that's punching your ticket. Yeah. And I think it's just such a necessary step for this franchise and we know that there is going to be a new era at quarterback ushered in very soon, perhaps as soon as next fall, but if not then, again, very soon. But for guys like, you know, Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard and Julian Blackman and Jonathan Taylor, 
it's just, I think, a necessary step to taste what real January football is like. Mm -hmm. Um, It's different. It's a different level. And I think it's key for uh, the new core. You know, Buckner's been there. But, like, you know, some of that younger core to get more of that, of what that notch is, what that intensity level is like. Will it be different this year with smaller crowds? Certainly. But still, uh, it's the one-and-done nature and win and go home, yeah. what we love about professional sports, particularly football. And so I, I think um, job well done by the Colts again to get into the playoffs, and 11-5 and five is not easy to do. We stressed it on last week's podcast. It was needed. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it would have been a disappointment had you not made the playoffs because the facts are the facts. You played the easiest schedule in the NFL. There was this extra playoff spot. To not get to the postseason – when you make some of the win-now moves that you made, that yeah. would have been a disappointment. So um, I, I think it was very necessary to get in there. And again, just in a chaotic 2020 year, man, there's been so much bullshit that we've had to deal with <laughs> you know, as a society and professionally, personally, socially, wherever. And the Colts you know, had their own issues to deal with throughout this season, like every other NFL team. But to go in 11-5, um, yes, you did need help in Week 17, and yesterday was not the prettiest 60 minutes of football. But still, um, you're in the dance, man, and it's crazy, crazy stuff can happen. And you, you you also put yourself in position to benefit from the help. You know, We often talk about that. It's like, yeah, you got help. You needed to get help. But still, you took the help and didn't just let it you know, go mm, in the trash right. or whatever. You were able to um, benefit from that and, and cash in on that. So, I don't know if Colts fans are jumping on tables and breaking them like <laughs> the Bills Mafia <laughs> yesterday, yeah. but uh, it, it quickly changes from thank you Bills to uh, f you Bills. Right. As uh, you get ready for one of the better teams in the AFC. Yeah. And, and honestly, you, one of the better teams in in uh, in football. Yeah. And you talk about punching your ticket. You're punching your ticket to some Rust Belt outdoor Northern football oh, yeah. weather. We love it. Oh yeah, that's going to be early forecast. It's all 29 degrees. Mm-hmm. In Buffalo, it doesn't seem like super windy or uh, precipitation-wise. I honestly think the Colts would benefit from more wind yeah. and a little bit of precipitation considering what Jonathan Taylor did yesterday. But, you know, again, just briefly, last, last yesterday was, um, you know, you, you let off the gas pedal way too early, up 20 nothing, And it was funny at halftime, I overhear Jag Staffer saying to another guy in the uh, in the press box, just like you, I'm just ready to go home. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, boy. That's a great thought. No wonder Shad Khan decided to can Doug Marone this morning. Yeah, but um, it had that feel, and then all of a sudden, that that really that final drive of the first half was when I felt like Jacksonville got some rhythm. But Jonathan Taylor was a stud, and your defense did enough after those shaky moments when Mike Glennon got into that rhythm. Yeah, Kevin, let's start there on things you like, ladies and gentlemen. The Colts have the number three rusher in the NFL this season and Jonathan Taylor. Dude, remember those like Baltimore and first Tennessee game when he was getting benched and yeah. one yard, two yards per carry and that second half of Green Bay, everything changed. That was such a big win for this football team and ever since that game, that half really, that second half, Jonathan Taylor has looked like one of the best running backs in the NFL. Yeah. Obviously Derrick Henry is an absolute stud, but mm-hmm. uh, find me another guy that's playing at a higher level than Jonathan Taylor right now. Like, production speaks for itself, Chris. 253? 
franchise record and Edron James and, you know, NFL rookie record type stuff. I think the second most for a rookie in NFL history. Like, all of that, just, you know, I can read that in the newspaper and be like, wow, that's a big number I'm not used to saying. Yeah. Seen. But I will reiterate what we said lately, how he is getting those yards. Like, no hesitation. No, it's not like it doesn't look too taxing for him mentally. I made this comparison er- earlier today, and it's like we all have been there. You know, it's like you're you're dribbling a basketball, and a bunch of second or third graders are around you trying to steal it from you, mm-hmm. and and like you have it on a string, and you know where the ball's going, and there it's just chaos around you, but you're calm and you're just okay. I'm doing my own thing. That's what it looks like to me, Taylor yeah. running. It, it's not – there were some big holes yesterday. It's not perfect. There are guys in holes to make plays, and yet it's just a subtle step. It's a subtle cut. It's making plays in traffic, and all of a sudden he, he's in the open field and 4-3-40 takes over. Yeah. So it, it is coming at the perfect, perfect time. Um, boy, it's just um, – if you can ride this – who knows? But just <laughs> he bailed you out. I mean, it was it was shaky at times yesterday. And we'll get into some of the play calling and, and just I know he had 30 carries, but I thought you could have rode him even a little bit more in that third quarter. I think it's something we mentioned when he was drafted, Chris. He's not don't get lazy and think he's like other Wisconsin running backs. He's just got a different gear yeah. than those Monte Balls and even a Melvin Gordon, especially a Ron Dane. But he's just is a different breed of back. And I will credit the Colts for believing in his character. They are so bullish on that. And you, you know, Taylor hit roadblocks. It was not perfect by any means uh, for his rookie season. But they believe in that character and they believe in that work ethic. And he is. Uh, grown as a shotgun running back. You know, you're a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. Right. You aren't as further away as you are kind of in that single back or even some eye formation stuff that he probably did at Wisconsin. So, um, you know, he was cutting. He was making guys miss. And, Chris, I also thought he was delivering body blows. Yeah. Just his three- and four-yard runs are just when guys wrap up on his lower body, it's they don't – he doesn't fall backwards. No. It's forward or through them. Mm-hmm. And again, he is—he's um, a flat-out stud right now. He—he he is a beast. You know, I was talking to Frank Reich a little bit last week, just about him right now, and it was—it was—it was hilarious just to listen to Frank talk about just the level that Jonathan was at. And this is before you know what he did on Sunday, and I—and I, I agreed wholeheartedly with with Frank. I'm like that dude is in a different stratosphere right now from where he was a month ago, two months ago, certainly. But even when you look at him in the NFL, yeah, like, he finished third in the league in rushing. Yeah, like what? That was uh, we were getting questions about Trent Richardson and and, and Jonathan right, Taylor right. on on previous podcasts. So uh, players, not plays. We talked about it all last week. He needed to be featured. He was enough. He played with fire a little bit there, and that that clinching touchdown. I mean, I think it was Schobert. I think it was the linebacker in the hole. Looked like kind of a four or five yard gain, and Taylor makes that cut. And yeah, boy, Schobert's probably walking to the sideline saying. You know, I got one uh w- one toe in the sand right now, or a couple toes in the sand right now, because this this is definitely over. Um, and what what a historical performance um, by him. Yeah, and what I like about Taylor, um, 
as well as he played against Pittsburgh, he's so humble. I think he's one of those guys that when he looks back on that game, he's like, man, I wish I picked up that blitz. Like, that's what that's what he's thinking, you know? Like, he's one of those guys that he wants to be perfect, and he's starting to read the field so well, and it's it couldn't come at a better time. Yeah, I mean, he is a professional, and and I mean that, you know, from a football sense. And, um, you know, when you're up 24-7, he carries it twice the rest of the game. Again, it shouldn't take performances like that to be wake-up calls to the staff, but I think it was. And, again, Taylor, could he have been featured a little bit more? Sure. 30 carries is still an extremely high number for a running back in the NFL. But they certainly um, featured him a whole lot. And, you know, really from that first play, he had the big run off the left side behind Jared Veld here, who I know we got some questions about that we'll get into. But this is what gives you hope. And we'll talk a lot more about this later and certainly on Thursday night. But it's this blueprint. It's Taylor looking like Wisconsin Jonathan Taylor of you can ride this horse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we we said it went, or at least I said it, when Marlon Mack went down, I wasn't overly worried about the production. Like, I thought Taylor would produce right, right. at an absurdly high level. I mean, he, again, he's he did in college, and you don't draft running backs at that, at that point because you know there's a potential for a shorter shelf life. And, yes, it's taking some time. But this is the Taylor that we thought we would see. You know, I had a lot of people tweeting at me right when he got drafted, like, oh, he's going to be Edwin James from day one. He's going to do this and do that. And I'm like, kind of pump the brakes. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> behind this O-line, and you get 230 and 4-3 speed, there is potential there to just have an outstanding running back. And he is certainly that for this football team right now. Kev, quickly before we go, jump to your next point, Touch on this for me and for the listeners. Early in the season, a lot of people said, is the line hurt? You know, we're not running the damn ball. Did it just take time for Taylor and the line to kind of get in sync with one another, or do you think the line got better as the year went on? It's a good question. You know, I, I think mostly Taylor getting in sync. You know, I, I feel like, and I know we, I've made this point before, I felt like Taylor was was getting whatever was blocked for him. Now, again, I don't think the O-line blocking was at a elite, elite level, but it was wasn't you know horrific mm-hmm. and i just think taylor wasn't getting to that peak performance now you looked at jordan wilkins yards per carry looked at naeem hines yards per carry they weren't you know 5 yards or 4 and a half yards either uh, but I, I think it's more of taylor's growth i i just think that he's comfortable he's gotten used to this system yes the o line i think he was taking a little bit of pride in like all right we have to be better as well but i would say mostly it's it's his own individual development and confidence, vision, there's just a calmness to his style. You know, you've heard me reference Le'Veon Bell, patience, mm-hmm. Steelers. It's just, um, I know where I'm going. I'm going to be decisive once I make that decision and let my God-given ability take over. Right. And he's doing that. Well, Kevin, it didn't take Mike Glenn until the end of the game to uh, meet a lot of the Indianapolis Colts. They met him in the backfield quite a number of times and that pass rush yesterday looked very good yeah and again we will take everything with the caveat of you're playing Jacksonville but anytime you hit a quarterback 11 times in a game it's still notable um Glennon threw it 42 times so that that's a decent amount but six sacks 11 quarterback hits you certainly like that and I would say why I wanted to clu- include this and things I like was because of what Kamoko Terry gave you yes 15 snaps of work not a big number but three quarterback hits in those 15 snaps, had a sack as well. Yes, Cam Robinson, their left tackle, got hurt during the game. But still, it's a 
positive step forward for a guy that needs that right here and right now. Um, you're going to need him Saturday, yeah. certainly, against Josh Allen, and we know full well what Kamoko Terry is going to mean potentially for the future of that rush. So the interior rush, you know, Buckner, Autry, I mean, those guys have done it, you know, for the most part really all year long. It's the edge rush that hasn't been there for you, and you've got to confine Allen to that pocket on Saturday. So, again, we'll take out the grain of salt because it's Jacksonville, but we have needed to see improvement from the rush unit. I thought the coverage lacked a little bit more yesterday than the rush. I mm-hmm. thought consistently you're able to mostly muddy that pocket for Mike Glennon. I know he's a statue and whatnot, but um, Kamoko Terry, I thought it was the best that uh, that we've we've seen him this year. Yeah, because Josh, he, he, he has an arm, but he can move. Oh, he can really move. Yeah, I mean, 6'5", 230, whatever, 240, and yeah, he can move. I mean, this is a very nimble, mobile quarterback who will openly make plays outside of the pocket and look to throw with knowing in the back of his mind he can he can run and tuck right. it. But certainly, I mean, his arm, yeah, I, I don't know how many people have watched Buffalo. I think you guys know, listening to me, I've kind of always been a Buffalo guy. I love what Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator, does. Just pre-snap, disguising. I don't think they overwhelm you with their offensive talent. Obviously, Stephon Diggs is a stud, but their line is not you know, top three. It's not a running back group that has a bunch of all pros. Right. But it's a speedy skill group, especially at wide out. Diggs has proven to be a number one. And um yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be quite the test mm-hmm. for this uh for this defense. So from a quarterback who can move to a quarterback who doesn't move as well. <laughs> and things you That's didn't, a nice way of putting it. <laughs> and things you didn't like uh yesterday. Phillip Rivers a little bit shaky. Dude, I, I know I tweeted this out during the game, but watching Phillip Rivers make throws on the run, it, it makes me laugh. Yeah. I mean, and it might make people cry, cringe, uh, yell. I, I don't know, but it's just like, wow, that dude is really <laughs> unathletic. And yet is a pretty darn good quarterback, <laughs> you know? So it's just it's kind of a wild um, skill set that he brings. I thought yesterday was one of his shakier performances of the year, to be honest with you. And I know some people will immediately give pushback and say, well, I mean, what are you expecting? Uh, the, the, the rushing offense ran for 270. I'm not sitting here saying Philip Rivers should throw for 300. No, 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 no. What I am saying here is the efficiency of the passing, off, passing offense yesterday was at a level we saw far too often last year. When you run it well, your passing offense needs to be efficient. Mm-hmm. And that is taking advantage of that run game. You didn't take advantage of that. I'd say the two stats that stand out to me the most, three of ten on third down, I think at one point you had seven straight failed conversions. The stat that probably stands out the most is um, six yards per attempt Yeah, for Rivers. Second lowest of the year. That's a number you hovered around way too often last year. And I wrote an article back in the offseason of looking at you know Baltimore and Tennessee and I think maybe even San Francisco and all the other top rushing teams from last year. So, again, just strictly kind of yards per game, yards per carry, rushing offenses, and how their efficiency of their pass game correlated. And, like, every single top rushing team was a top 10 yards per attempt team. Okay. Like, they benefited greatly yeah. from it, besides the Colts. That's why you had to make the change at quarterback. So yesterday, you have this historic rushing performance. And again, I'm not expecting 330 yards from Phillip Rivers, 
But when you attempt 27 passes and have 164 yards, yeah, that is an inefficient day. And then the interception just flat out can't happen. That was a um, honestly, like physically, it was a, it was a terrible throw. It, it you know hung in there way too long, and I'm just imagining 29 degree weather. And, and attempting a ball like that on Saturday, how much that'll float in the air. But honestly, Chris, what probably is more head-scratching to me is that was an awful decision. Mm-hmm. If you watch the replay, and CBS did show a great end-zone view of it, he locks on Hilton so yeah. early there that the backside safety, 42, who was all over the place yesterday, boy, he just reads rivers and it just kind of runs down a deep fly ball that uh, you know maybe the center fielder you know could have caught. It, it was like, what? How does I don't know. He usually he looks off at safety. It right. was so unrivers like to make that mistake mentally and then also um just a just a terrible throw. Horrible throw. So it's just a um when you have his arm right now, you just you, you, you can't make those mental mistakes. Right. Flat out you cannot. So um, I know it's a backup left tackle. You know, maybe that's some of it as well. You know, T Y drew, you know, pass interference penalty or or two there, which you know obviously helps you out, but you know Taylor is not going to face Jacksonville's run defense again, so you can't expect two hundred and fifty three. But if he's giving you over a hundred, you've got to play off that, and you've got to be more efficient. The complementary football offensively has got to be there because if you have six scoreless drives in a row on Saturday, you know, yeah, go ahead and and and. and call the Airbnb and say you have early check-in. Like, it, the, the, the offseason's going to start early, and that's just the reality of what you're about to see in the step-up in, in competition. So, um, I, again, I thought it was the shakiest we've seen Rivers in um, in quite some time. And some more inconsistency, as you as you listed here. That's Is that another point you wanted to touch on? or? Yeah, you know, it's just kind of putting bad teams away, Chris. And, and look, you aren't going to have that problem in January because you're only facing good teams, but... I guess I go more towards the lulls. Yeah. Six straight scoreless drives offensively. Mike Glennon, 13 straight passes. Like stuff like that cannot happen on Saturday. And I will be the first to acknowledge sustaining a high level amount of success over the course of 60 minutes is very difficult to do in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you're competing against. But this has been the most common trend, really, of the Colts. I would say over the past month and a half. It's just, it's been a 30-minute consistency on either side of the ball, and that's it. And then it's just been pleading to hold on right? in some of these games. You know, I asked Frank last week about the second-half issues offensively, and, you know, we touched on last Wednesday's podcast about, well, they do script the third quarter a little bit, but, you know, we probably use more of our good plays early on in games, which you understand that. You want to play from ahead. You certainly want to play from ahead on Saturday. But it you have to be able to sustain things and, and not necessarily, I'm not asking for six straight scoring drives, right? but you got to have some level of flipping the field, at least uh, scoring three of those six drives, something like that. And certainly got to be better situationally. You know, so many people will, you know, look at the Colts right now and compare them, I think to Tennessee last year entering the postseason. you know, can you ride Taylor? Like they rode Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. Fine. That is a perfectly fine comparison. I am willing to talk about that. What people forget is Tennessee allowed 13 points and 12 points in those wins in Foxborough and in Baltimore. And they were perfect in the red zone. Yeah. So, it yeah, Henry did him. 
that was King Henry. But <laughs> that was also finishing off drives inside the 20, and then your defense playing at an extraordinarily high level. Right. So we have to keep that in mind. Taylor can't do it all himself. So, you know, I think Frank acknowledged it well after the game of there's no room for some of the inconsistencies we've had over the last couple of weeks. He knows that. Yeah. And, um, man, it was really just like, I mean, 13 straight completions, and it wasn't all dink and dunk from Glennon, too. You know, there was some stuff like, I don't know, 10, 15 yards down the field. I was like, wow, Mike Glennon's throwing a couple of nice <laughs> balls in there. And, you know, I know it sounds super cliche to be like, oh, the stop with the prevent defense. It just, it looked... It looked a little bit too much of that for me. Yeah. And again, I put more on the coverage than I do on the rush. I thought the rush was a little bit better there um, throughout the course of 60 minutes. But like, if you'd have told me before the game that Jacksonville would have four straight drives on Sunday with the chance to take the lead in the second half, I'd be like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. boy, could buttholes get any tight right. inside of Lucas Oil Stadium? I mean, I don't know about you, man, but it was like, I don't think Jacksonville's going to drive the length of the field on you, but. I mean, it's midway through the fourth quarter, and here they are with the ball again, right. down six. Like it was like, whoa, this is, you know, way too close for for comfort. So, yeah, inconsistencies, you know, putting bad teams away, and again, that just applies to yesterday. But um, you have to have a more consistent product of football. Really, outside of the Raiders game, Chris, if the sixty-minute effort and execution we've seen since. I'd say the crazy COVID game with the Titans. That won't get it done in Western New York on Saturday. Yeah. And, and honestly, maybe even throwing the Raiders game in there. But, you know, you were pretty good in the second half against the Raiders and offensively really good in the first half. So you got to acknowledge that. you got to realize that for the most part, this team does play to their competition, which I think is a good and bad thing. So they should rise to that level. And, you know, you, you look at Buffalo, they've been okay against playoff teams. You know, nothing absurd, but... Um, they've also been really damn good here as of late. So I just think um, we we set the barometer for this football team for the month of January. And I think at the start of the year, I think I had it 10-6 and six winning the division. Mm-hmm. I think winning one playoff game was, I think, where I sat it at. So you're in the playoffs. That's one of those three. You obviously didn't win the division, although, boy, that was crazy watching that unfold. But now it's, okay, can you try and win a playoff game? And I think if you do that, you know, from a uh, success in 2020 season, that would be kind of where yeah. I, I I expected things. Okay, time for Twitter questions. Kev, you ready? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and again, not a ton this week uh, compared to most. Mm-hmm. And really, I wanted to stay away from the most part from big picture questions. I don't know. I just think we're in a playoff week, and we can save a lot of that stuff for yeah. the offseason. Yep. First one comes from Jonathan, who was at the game yesterday. First time he's been to a game all season. He was in the north end zone, section 451. Kevin, he's excited we're in playoffs and playoff bound, of course. But his question is, are the holes the line made against the Jags normally that huge? From the TV view, the holes are okay. But in person, I feel you could have driven a combine through some of them. Don't get me wrong. Taylor did great. But honestly, Ursay could have run for 100 yards with those type of holes. Oh, boy. How about Jimmy sending out the old uh, video after the game that he recorded pregame? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like, you know, being uh, people want to, you know, crucify me for jinxing the Colts. The man is recording a we've made the playoffs video during pregame warmups. He's ready to go. I'm like, boy, uh, there's some confidence <laughs> in the owner suite. Um, 
boy, that yes, Taylor in the open field. First off, yes, th- there are big holes, but Taylor again, he has that gear in the open field that allows for the big play run game, and that's why they drafted him where they did. It was yeah. flat out. We need more big plays in the run game, and yesterday, you had a lot of that. But uh, yeah, there were some big holes. Honestly, I thought one of the one of the biggest holes, um was on that Naeem Hines run early in the game. Mo Alley-Cox was pulling, mm-hmm. and I kind of was like, boy, from the press box, it's like, move out of the way, Mo, because Naeem Hines is humming. And, right. and I thought he might score on that play. But, yeah, I mean, there were some big plays. I thought you controlled the line of scrimmage for the most part really well. So um, you need to have push. You need all that. Buffalo, the one weakness, Chris, is probably their run defense. Yeah. And, again, we'll hit on this a lot more Thursday. Um, but, yeah, it was a – yeah, it was a really nice rushing performance. Taylor, I think, in the open field, delivered the historic day for you. But certainly, the O-line, anytime you run for 270, they're doing their part as well. Yeah, on that Heinz run, re-watching it, I'm like, man, Naheem, if, if you maybe just slowed down a little bit there, you might <laughs> right. score. Like, you were right. He, Molly Cox is looking behind him like, oh, crap, he's on my ass right now. I got to yeah. move. <laughs> it is funny. If there was, like, one thing that maybe – it's like Hines, if he knew his gears maybe a little bit more, you know, he could maybe kind of set up some guys mm-hmm. or set up some blocks. He's really always kind of – full, which works out great for him. But, you know, that is something that, you know, if he can kind of u- realize how to utilize that, um, he could really be, you know, a, a special player. Kevin Damon wants to know, what was your favorite JT run of the day? Thanks for the podcast. Sorry about your Irish. He was pulling for them. Oh, Damon. You had to go there. Damon said it, not me. I know. Well, thank you, Damon. That, that was a very nice way to say it, unlike the guy last week who said that I was the reason why Notre Dame will never beat an SEC team. <laughs> um, the reason why Notre Dame won't be an SEC team is because did you watch Najee Harris hurdle over Nick McLeod? I mean, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, they got dudes that we don't have. Um, quickly about the Irish. Why Kyron Williams was, wasn't utilized more early is baffling. I thought they the the play calling was scared. Um, have to take some shots vertically as well. Have to go for it on some fourth downs. Have to do something. Got to steal possessions. That just frustrated me like like no other. And then lastly, this Chris, you watch those four playoff teams. Number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Number two overall pick, Justin Fields. Hell, maybe sw- flop those, flip those after Saturday night. And Alabama has three of the top five in the Heisman voting. Notre Dame has improved, but until you get explosive guys at those positions, quarterback and receiver mainly, you're going to be playing on that second tier. And right now, right. Well, third tier, whatever you want to call it, because Alabama is on a tier, and I guess Ohio State and Clemson are probably on the second tier. Notre Dame is throwing in with the Georgias and the Oklahomas and everybody else in the world. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I did just bet. Hey, I hope you bet on them to cover. Uh, okay, my favorite JT run of the day. Probably that clinching touchdown. Yeah, that was just um, all of a sudden he's in the open field. I'm like, whoa! I thought there was a guy in the hole. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure enough, there he is. You know, it's funny, Taylor. And this just shows you the type of guy he is. He said his favorite run of the day yesterday was the final run, in which it was kind of a third down. The game was pretty much over. Did he? Because that's what that was what I was going to say. Really, it, it it was like you could get to victory formation, and it's just I don't know, Taylor. It's just. He's got such a great mind on him of, like, that is your favorite. He said Philip came in the huddle and was like, let's get one more first down. Let's get him to kneel down, all that. And that just kind of shows you who he is. But, um, man, that, that I just thought that cut. Mm-hmm. I mean, because at that point, it's still a game. Like, it's still a six-point game. And if for some reason, you know, you get into a third and short again and you don't convert and now you're putting it or Hot Rod's got to attempt another one from 50-something, you know, then it gets weird. But, um. 
<laughs> There's so many to pick from. Yeah, because I thought that last run was the epitome of who Jonathan Taylor is. You know they're running the ball. Yeah. He's got to get a couple yards, gets contact, and still falls forward for the first down, and, and there you go. No, I, I think that's a really good point. I think what we've seen from Taylor here lately, too, Chris, is I felt like when you drafted him, how good he could be in the second halves of games mm-hmm. would just be so, so important. Now, again, the key is playing from ahead, and we'll talk about that more on Thursday. All right, Kev, this is from Jacob. Why, why, why does Frank not run the damn ball in the second half of games with a lead? When he finally did this, this when he finally did this week, look what happened. Going away from the run can't happen in Buffalo. Seems like he purposely tries to make Rivers look good when he's not our identity. Why does our offense always stall in the second half? P.S. Tell Frank that all of your followers are screaming, run the damn ball in the second half. Yeah, Jacob, I will certainly I'll call Frank right when I get home and know that he will answer. And yeah, it's not like he's got anything to worry about on a short week. Okay, second half play calling, Chris. Um, honestly, the first two drives I put squarely on the let's get cute with Jacoby Brissett in the game. When Brissett went in there on second eleven, I'm like, hmm, mm-hmm. this is weird. Uh, for those of you that had Jacoby Brissett to score a touchdown, you probably were intrigued. <laughs> then he stays in there on third and five, and I'm like, is Rivers hurt? So I'm like looking down the sideline. Rivers is right there next to Frank, helmet on and everything. And uh, very confused. Frank, after the game, said this. When Jacoby's in the game, teams think he can run it, so they have to remove a guy from the box. You know, you're pretty much taking a guy out of the box, and he's got to be more on the perimeter. That opens the box, and you mm-hmm. can have, theoretically, big runs from Taylor. And honestly, I thought Brissett should have handed it to Taylor on the third and five. I thought there was a little bit of something there for Taylor. But it, it's weird to me that, like, Frank, late in the year, is trying to create more out of this Brissett package when you know full well there's a ceiling on it. And you're in no position to try and get cute. You've got to win the f- yeah game. Like, this is not, you're up 25, you're going to run a fake punt to put it on film. <laughs> Sorry. You you were in a corner where you you got to beat the Jacks. And it's a one-possession game, I think, at that point. Or, I don't know, it's maybe a two-score game. Like, You've got to go out there and win. And I just think you've got to know the ceiling with a Brissett package. On the second drive, he went in there again on the third and one. Mm-hmm. Hell, it wasn't even third and one. It might have been third and short. I don't know if Brissett checked into that. It looked weird. He did a lot of stuff pre-snap. But just sneak it. Like, they still have not stopped him on sneaks. No. So, wh- why are you trying to recreate something that he is not Taysom Hill. He is not Usain Bolt, whatever you think he is as a running quarterback. Like, sure, he's faster than Phillip Rivers. You know, so is Rosie. <laughs> like, it, it just, it, you just can't. You can't do this. And you certainly can't do it Saturday. Um, Brissett in the short yardage can be effective, but there's no need for him to be in there in second 11. And it's like the pass play to Hilton. A few weeks back. Mm-hmm. Was it open? Was it there? Sure. But Bursette is not. That's not his strength. You are now trying to get a guy that you benched for a reason to do stuff that he couldn't do as a starter. Like, that's playing with fire. And so I, I just, that, that I'm like, I'm scratching my head, and I'm doing it a lot, and I don't think I have lice. Like, what? why? Why? Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- 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 that, that, was, that was the time of the game, Chris, where I was like, Hmm. It's not like you're having Rivers throw it. It's like 
you just aren't playing to your strengths of either give it to Taylor on the third and five or get Rivers off back on the field. And then on the third and one, QB sneak it. Then on the next couple drives, I did think it was a little bit too pass happy. Now, Taylor at that point, I think there was a stretch there. I looked at this last night. I want to say it was a 16-play stretch where Taylor carried it four times. He wasn't great in those four carries, but again, it's body blows. Yeah. When is the fifth carry or the sixth carry going to be the one that busted? Mm-hmm. That's where I thought you got a little bit too pass-happy in there when the passing offense really wasn't doing a whole lot. So um, that's where I would probably disagree with Frank on. Again, 30 carries is 30 carries. That's a lot. But still, there's just some times in that game where way too cute with it. Mm-hmm. Mainly Brissett package, and then a little bit again when you got into that. And this is all with that six straight scoreless drive route rut that you were in. Um, there was some usage kind of late third quarter, early fourth, where I thought you passed it a little bit too much when you felt like you were just waiting for Taylor to break another one. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay, what's the Colts franchise record? You know, he's going to get it. Like, and he eventually got it there with about three minutes to go in the game. So, worked against Jacksonville, not going to work against Buffalo. Jeremy has an interesting question, Kevin. Says, yeah. And it's a serious one, he says. Uh, what can Blankenship do to strengthen his leg for next season? Can kickers do anything to actually increase the distance that they kick? Wow, that, that, that's a great question, Jeremy. Uh, um, yeah, I would. F- my initial thought is not a whole lot at this level. You know, certainly from a weight room standpoint, I don't know. Hot Rod isn't the biggest guy in the world by any means, but, you know, he was in an SEC weight room. I don't think he was probably lacking for much in what their strength and conditioning program looks like. You know, Chris, it's, um, you know, he made 50 and 53 yarders in college. I mean, hell, we saw the 53 yarder earlier in the year where he had plenty of distance to spare. I honestly think it's a little bit more mental with him right now. I am not sitting here and acting like Matt Prater is kicking for the Colts or Sebastian Janikowski is kicking for the Colts. But Rodrigo Blankenship has enough distance to make 55-yarders on a routine basis. I just worry a little bit about his confidence on the longer kicks. Remember, when he chunked the one against Green Bay, he said that he was trying to get the ball up in the air more Therefore, he caught a little turf, tried to hit lower on the ball, mm-hmm. and that's what happens. Did that happen on the 56-yarder? You know, when you look at the 49-yarder off the upright, that had plenty of distance. That would mm-hmm. have been good from 56. Yeah. So it's just a little bit. Yes, that is a concern. It's not, I don't know, one or two on the list because I think you're going to have to score touchdowns, not field goals against Buffalo. But inevitably, you're going to run into some situations where you might have to kick one in the 29-degree weather. And where is your level of concern with him from longer distance? He has kicked, I believe, four field goals all year from longer than 45. All indoors, and he's missed three of them. Yeah. Now, they're not horrific misses. I think two are off the uprights. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're misses. And again, he's one of four from north of 45. That's got to be the worst percentage in the NFL from that distance. And none of them have been outdoors. So I guess that would just be kind of a... Certainly an unknown for him. And then, you know, the byproduct is how does that impact Frank Reich's decision-making? So, 
Yeah, Jeremy, I, I don't have a great answer on, you know, what can he do to strengthen his leg for next season? I You know, maybe it is a little bit more of a weight room thing. Is it a technique thing? Is it just more of a trust? You just got to, all right, I got to hit that sweet spot, and it's going to be that lower third of the ball, and I just got to trust it, this and that. Who knows? Um, I don't think he's got a booming leg by any means, but, you know, it, it, it's not like straight up noodle leg. Mm-hmm. I, I've watched him make 60-yarders. He did it at Georgia. He should be able to make a 53-yarder with pretty pretty ease, pretty much ease, I guess, if that makes sense. But nonetheless, I think it's more mental, and it's certainly something to keep an eye on on Saturday. All right, Brian says, uh, Originally, many thought the Colts were built to hold leads. Why can they not seem to do that? Is the pass defense lagging behind the run defense or some other reason? Um. Yeah, Brian, that's a that's a uh, that's a great question. Honestly, um, I think I think the defense gets into like a level of complacency, Chris, that just kind of comes back to hurt them a little bit. Again, I mentioned earlier, kind of letting off that gas pedal. That mm-hmm. drive by Glennon to end the first half that was so easy. Yeah, for him, like yep. way too easy. And you know, am I saying all out blitz when you're up twenty nothing? No, but you know what's coming. Quick, quick ish rhythm passing game. Disrupt that. Like, step on their throat. Finish them. I mean, you could have ended that game. Really, you also could have ended it if you converted a few more red zone opportunities. But if you stop them there, I mean, 20 nothing at halftime, what's that locker room like? like yeah. You know, hey, Coach, can we start the bus early? You know, like, that's kind of what that feeling could have been like there. So, I just think it's – it goes back to a little bit of like, you know, people have been asking me a lot lately, why are the Colts so inconsistent? Why, you know, what, why can't you sustain over the course of two halves? Well, maybe that's just who they are, you know, like the seventh best team in the AFC. Like they're not, they're, they're not Buffalo. Buffalo's yeah. what, what, nine of 10 and the one loss is on Hail Mary to Hopkins. I mean, yeah. like there's a reason why those teams are where they are and the Colts are, 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 are where they are. The Colts are a good football team, but to get to that next level, you have to be, more consistent. So I just think it's also just a level of who you are. But it is weird. You would think theoretically they are a good run offense team here in the second half of the season. Now, on the flip, I think their pass defense is worse than their – I think they're a great run defense team. The pass defense is what worries you. And I think that's obviously what teams are doing when they're playing um, from behind. All right, this is from Mike and Patrick, both with a similar question. What a game by Taylor – but yet another game in the second half where we had a meltdown. Where should the blame lie on second half letdowns? Well, I mean, certainly it's 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 top down. Um, you know, I would start with Frank, and I'd also um, Matt Matt Eberflus as well. You know, when you're again when you're up twenty to nothing, it's just like I guess it was. I don't know when that Leonard fumble occurred. Was it was it seventeen nothing? When let me see if I can find that here. Yeah, you're able to cash in on that. So I think the Leonard fumble turned into a touchdown. Yes. Boy, you talk about a play you need to have on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when you stalled out in the red zone there and, and Hot Rod kicked it from 24 yards, um, there I think Miles Jack maybe not knocked that ball away or I don't know if somebody made a play on on that uh, red zone drive. Like That's when the missed opportunity happens. So second half letdowns, again, I just think it it, it is – a top-down thing, and it goes to show you more of just where this team is. It's not at the premier, premier level. still a good football team, and, boy, the offense continues to start so well in games, um, which is great to see. 
but I just think sustaining that is more of a recipe of who you are as a football team over the course of 16 Mm -hmm. games. All right, Kev, very scary win, but Tanner and Craig will take it. Said I may be in the minority with this, but I have more faith in us against Buffalo than I would have against Baltimore. I feel like our offense fares better against Buffalo's defense than Baltimore's. What are your thoughts on that? It's interesting. Um, you know, we got a couple of these, as you mentioned, Chris. I um, my 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 first thought was no. <laughs> I'd much rather play Baltimore at home than Buffalo on the road. But I guess the more I think about it, is like some people are like, well, our offense has done absolutely nothing against high-level defenses, would I rather face a team that is a little bit lacking defensively, but I feel like the Colts' defense can stop an opposing offense a couple times, can make a play or two, and that can be the difference from staying in the game. Kind of like the Green Bay game. Right. You know, where, where, where Green Bay's defense wasn't great, so you're able to kind of compete in a shootout, and then a Julian Blackman play, and, um, you know, they had that big fourth-down stop in that game as well, like, you know, are those a couple of plays that, that make the difference? Now, having said that, I would rather have the home game. Fans aside, the logistics of it, I just think that would have been better right. for this football team. Maybe a revenge fact. I mean, you were up 10 nothing on Baltimore at one point. And frankly, I think you're better equipped to handle Baltimore's offense. The, the run, we talk about the run and strike with the linebackers, the read option. I think you are better equipped to handle that than you are Buffalo's high-powered attack, especially on the perimeter. So, you know, Buffalo to me, I mean, if I were ranking the teams in the AFC right now, it'd probably go Kansas City, Buffalo, pretty close, honestly. And then probably Baltimore. I'd say Baltimore's the third-best team in the AFC. I mean, outside of the COVID stuff and right. Lamar Jackson taking a shit, like, they've been pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's been it's been pretty good watching them play really ever since kind of the mid-November to late-November stuff from them. So, um, man, I I, I just think the Bills are really good. Yeah, they are. What I mean, would, would you have rather? I, I, would you have rather played Buffalo than Baltimore? I don't. You know, at this point, I'm just happy we're in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I know no, we're nitpicking it's, it's things. A, it's a fair question. Um, Baltimore at home, like you said, when we were up ten, that you know that fumble, the awful oh, yeah, interception that, that wasn't an interception i mean well yeah i mean taylor's fumble i mean that was a huge play right and what's his name returned it for a touchdown yeah, yeah so i don't think that happens again when you when you when those if those teams were to meet so i look at the bills man they've won nine to ten i want to say eight of those wins are by at least eight points i mean that's nuts what? in the nfl yeah you're doing that right like i i'm sorry i just don't i don't know i don't want and like Part of me is like, yeah, the Colts are equipped to play outdoors and, you know, they can run it. But it's like when you do force Rivers to throw, you know, I, I just think you're exposing yourself a little bit there. So I can listen to it, but no, I would rather play Baltimore at home than Buffalo on the road. Yeah. Kev, hope you and the family had a good New Year. This is from Raj and Jordy. Thank you, guys. Oh, boy. <laughs> It's a long morning. Yeah, it is a long morning. Sorry about that. What are your overall? What were your overall impressions yesterday? They want to know from uh, Jared Veldier. Both his pass and run blocking looked solid. He didn't seem too grab happy. Just seemed to have an overall solid solid game for the Colts. Yeah, I think he was the only penalty of the day. I think he had that face mask. Um, honestly, the Colts got a pretty good whistle. 
yesterday there a couple mm-hmm. times in the secondary. I thought Blackman might have been a hair early one time, and then T.J. Carey. <laughs> Rocky Seen had to be on his couch being like, why are you not – why don't you officiate <laughs> me like that? Yeah. Um, but Veld here, you know, for just two practices, I thought he was okay. Um, it, it's still a concern of mine. I was a little surprised that they put him out there. I know I mentioned it on Wednesday's podcast that – it, it isn't the most mentally taxing position in the world, playing left tackle from a communication standpoint and those things. Boy, I, I don't know about you, Chris. I looked down there, and at times I thought he was a, a taller tight end. Yeah. You know, he, he's so slender mm-hmm. for his build. Um, and I, But I thought there were times where, where Chason got the best of them and some bull rush and some speed rush moves. And, you know, Buffalo's going to try and throw Jerry Hughes over there and, and try to get after him a little bit more. So... You know, you weren't in a ton of obvious passing situations yesterday. That probably helps him as well. Again, I thought it was mostly a mixed bag. Yeah. You know, three more practices this week. Does he get his wind up? Does that help him play a little bit better? Um, that's something, I think, to acknowledge and, and possibly look at. You know, we'll see if they get Will Holden back this week. You know, he suffered the ankle injury against the Steelers. He was the one subbing for Costanzo originally. You right. Know, does he um, get into the mix more? Or does he come back and practice? You know, to me, I feel like if they stuck with Veld here, they're going to stick with him again. If they threw him in there and in the, into the lineup, they're going to do that again. But um, yeah, it was, I'd say mostly mixed bag. With taking into consideration the guys practice twice in a year, but you know you're about to face a defense that is not. Great. Buffalo's not really elite in anything defensively, to be honest with you. They aren't bad, but um, they are going to be an upgrade over yeah. what you just saw. All right, love how Gato starts this, <laughs> the Twitter question here. Good day, sir. Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you, Gato. Appreciate that. Yeah, good day to you as well, and um, Happy New Year. The Colts made it, but it's been scary at times. What's the chance we're holding something back scheme-wise, and now we can unleash it in the regular season for a leg up, maybe feed Taylor. Thanks. Well, Gatto, Gato, um, I will start here. I, boy, if you're holding anything back, and it's 20 to 14 yesterday, and you haven't scored in five straight drives, I think you're emptying the playbook at that point. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's what Frank did with the Jaco- Jacoby Brissett, um, whatever second and eleven usage. Uh, something I know that we've talked about. Um, is what about the two-back stuff? Taylor and Hines yeah. in the backfield together. That's always been something intriguing to me that I want to see more out of. You know, Hines had a really good day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Catch the ball out of the backfield. And, I mean, even running it. So, you know, what can you do there to try and, you know, maybe make up for the, the lack of an explosive passing game? Because, you know, is Tredavious White going to match up against T.Y. Hilton? And is that going to be limited? You know, that's a storyline within the game as well. But, um... Yeah, I think that is something that I'm kind of intrigued by. You know, do you see a few more chances for for Pittman? You know, he played so much yesterday and he had two targets. Yeah. So I think those are a couple things. But man, uh, it's not like you have some playbook, you know, in the corner of your office that you just yeah we'll we'll dust that <laughs> off when we get in the playoffs. No. Yeah. You know, you you didn't have any margin for error to uh, to go down that that road. Kev, Jason wants to know, when was the last time you saw an NFL high, team high receiver with 50 yards when the winning team's 28 points, 2019 Colts excluded? Well, J- Jason, I'd probably say maybe maybe the Titans. 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that was my thought. Yeah. yeah. You know, the way Henry does what he does. Um, but yeah, what most rushing yards and most into, I mean, all the stats are crazy. Most rushing yards for the franchise and I think well over a decade and you know, first quarter rushing yards, I think most in franchise history, maybe or first half or something. I mean, it was just, just absurd numbers. It just, it's like, wow. And boy, can, How'd you lose that team week one? That was the other thought that mm-hmm. kept on going through my head watching that. Yeah. Dalton says he won't win it, but should Taylor be getting some rookie of the year attention? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And honestly, he should win it. He won't, but he should. You know, Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert are, have had great, great seasons. Um, tremendous, really. But... um Justin Jefferson or Jordan Jefferson? I feel like it's Justin. I always, it's Justin. I always do that to myself. But, like, to me, there's, like, a level of team success that matters. And, obviously, Taylor's going to have recency bias right. from some voters, which will help him. But, yeah, darn right. I mean, he deserves to be on that ballot. I I would I would give it to him. I would. Um, great, great seasons by Herbert and Jefferson, but there's a level of what did your team do and what have you met to your football team? Jonathan Taylor's meant a whole lot. Yeah. This one's from the Joker. Real question. Do you think the team really has a chance to win a playoff game if they keep playing like they did in the second half versus a really good team? Well, no. I mean, no. I Absolutely not. You you, you cannot play in like you have in these recent second halves. But I, I, I think this team can win a playoff game. Now, it's not going to be easy, and we'll break it down a lot more later in the week. But, yeah, I think this team is capable, but no, no chance. I mean, if you – no, if you give that effort post-halftime that you've given recently, like I said, folks, it's going to be, you know, hope the wings, you know, taste well on the on, on the plane flight home <laughs> from Buffalo. Like, it's just – it's – um, yeah, I think it was maybe Albert Breer yesterday tweeting Jonathan Taylor, top five back next year. After the, I'm like, next year? He's top five back right now. Right. Right now in the NFL. The list is literally Derrick Henry and then him. I'm sorry, Dalvin Cook's not in the playoffs. You know, Nick Chubb, pretty close up there. But, like, that dude is playing that well. And he he, he can give you a chance. Mm-hmm. All right, this is from Steven. Let's go, playoff bound. Here we go. Come on now. Says I remember the last podcast you said maybe the Colts should have went a different direction instead of Taylor. Do you still feel like that? Says, I know your reasoning. I just believe Taylor is going to be a stud for a very long time. Steven, did I, I thought we edited out that that – that portion of the uh, of the podcast did I say that? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, again, I I think my reference and I forget who asked the question last week. Um, so NCAA tournament venues: Bankers Life, Hinkle, the Coliseum, Mackey Assembly Hall, and Lucas Oil. Two courts at Lucas Oil, only one game at a time. Interesting. Hmm. So they're going to go up to West Lafayette and. Uh, I thought that might be Man, might be the case, but okay. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, Taylor, what? Uh, what? Yeah. Okay. My and whoever asked the question last week, for some reason, Matt is popping in my head. I thought it was a great question because it is more of a philosophical question on like how you would handle drafts. Do you draft a running back in the second round? Do you draft him at forty-one overall? There are certainly teams in the NFL that would not do that. And obviously the Colts are one of the teams that would do that. They think Taylor is that great of a player. And I think that um, it all comes down to like the philosophy of how you view the NFL in 2020. 
if it's a pass-happy league, like you say, is a running back worth that pick? And what is the shelf life of the running back as yeah. well? And I guess that gets to Steven's point here. I just believe Taylor is going to be a stud for a very long time. If Jonathan Taylor is going to give you, you know, perennial thousand-yard seasons for, I don't know, eight years, yeah. Yes, that makes sense. But unfortunately, running backs, we've seen them just, like, taper off, like, and just, where'd they go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, look at the, the what's the kids uh, for the Texans? David Johnson. Right. You know, one year he's borderline the MVP of the league, and now it's like, wait, what? So it's just – and now there are reasons why the Colts think Taylor will not be like that. High character, extremely durable at Wisconsin, all of that. But there is a level of risk when you take a running back at that level that you might only get six years out of him. And what if you got a corner there for 10 years or a left tackle there for 10 years or an edge rusher for 10 years? There's just a level of other positions that would rank higher on my board and then also – you look at your offensive line and believe, okay, we have this great offensive line. I don't think we need to invest that quality of a draft pick into running back. So I have never once said that I think Jonathan Taylor is not a stud, not a bad, you know, he's a bad player, blah, blah, blah. It's more of the philosophy of how you handle drafts. And obviously you could never have predicted Marlon Mack tearing his Achilles. But right. like that was probably more of my pause of like, boy, how are you going to utilize these two? Because it's a second-round draft pick. You don't want to waste that, and you need early return on it. And, you know, the Colts obviously benefited, in a way, of Marlon Matt getting hurt, and that thrust Jonathan Taylor into this. Um, and I guess it just kind of goes back to, and I remember Joey and I having so many of these arguments in that 2018 draft. Joey was all in on Saquon Barkley, and I was probably more in the Bradley Chubb camp. It's like, you know, find me the Super Bowl winning teams that have had first-round running backs, second-round running backs. You know, there aren't many. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where I have just, like, I will certainly listen to the narrative of, like, you could have gone in a different direction there, and it would have made sense. You can listen to that, acknowledge that, and also sit here and say, Jonathan Taylor is a freaking stud, and he's helped you win some big-time football games here as of late. And if you didn't have him. Right. You wouldn't be in the playoffs. Now, Devil's Advocate would, would could easily say, too, what if you drafted a left tackle at the midway point of the second round and, jo- and Marlon Mack doesn't get hurt? You could still be in the playoffs based off having, you know, not your eighth left tackle of the year starting for Anthony right. Costanzo. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if I flat out said the Colts shouldn't have drafted Taylor. I, it's probably not what I would have done. But I don't think I sat here and I'm like vehemently disagreeing with Chris Ballard's draft pick of Jonathan Taylor. You're going to benefit from it, and you're going to benefit from him big time right. over the next few years. Honestly, the key for me, Chris, moving forward is just making sure that you pair the quarterback with him for some level of time. You know, Peyton and Edge together for those years. And then obviously you came back and you spent a first-round pick on Joseph Adai, and that worked out really well. I think it's making sure that – um, you're able to, you know, put that quarterback, whoever that new guy is, in there for him. So, I mean, Jonathan Taylor right now is he's one of the best players in the NFL. Period. Bar none. I I, I don't care the the position right now. He's playing at that level. And again, this is very in the moment. Here we are, last month of the season. Will that continue in 2021? What will? Look, who the hell knows? But right here, right now, you're benefiting from him big time. Yeah. 
Now, for those of you that have more of a long-term view and are more of team running back day three picks and think that premium picks should be spent more on premium positions, I can listen to you. I can totally hear you out. But right here, right now, without Jonathan Taylor, this team's on our couch. Yeah, and you're, you're not wrong in the sense that it's a position where you don't normally see that player make a retirement speech or announcement. They are told that they are retiring. Like yes. The team's just, you're gone. No, yeah. See ya. Frank Gore is rare. And, right. And, and some might argue Frank Gore should have retired a couple years ago. I mean, it's not like Frank's putting up absurd. Adrian Peterson is rare. Like, oftentimes, it just these running backs, I mean, look at Leonard Fournette. I mean, now all of a sudden, he's just kind of in a rotation mm-hmm. in, in Tampa. And lucky if he's in that. And so and that was what? He was a 1,000-yard rusher for the Jags last year. It's just the the reality. But Taylor has some characteristics to him that the Colts feel like he can sustain this for longer. It's just it's weird, and it's kind of how we evaluate draft picks, but it's a lot more on the bigger picture of like – it goes back to the Montez Sweat draft pick from a couple of years ago. You know, when we get a decade down the road, let's say Taylor has had 5,000-yard seasons – Plays for you for six years, whatever. Suffers a devastating injury, and he's never the same player. You know how successful of a is that the outright slam dunk successful draft pick? I think you've got to factor in team success, got to factor in certainly guys around you that were picked in that same area. All of that factors into it. But in the right here, right now, and the present, boy, have you needed him? And Marlon Mack's injury situation has played into that as well. But, um, yeah, he's been, gosh, he's been so good. Mm-hmm. Man. So good. And this is kind of what I thought was, like, when I drafted him, I was like, I mean, we we're giving the offensive rookie of the year odds, and I was like, yeah, I mean, if Marlon gets hurt, yeah. he's going to blossom. He's going to flourish. And I was just so surprised by it early in the year. Did I think he'd be at this level? You know? No. But I thought a 1,000-yard season – with an injury involved was very, very positive. Right. Well, we're going to stick with the running back room with a question from Brad. First off, his statement is, man, this team is going to give me a heart attack. If you ask me, it would have if we would have lost that game, that's 100% a Reich fireball offense to lose to that team twice with the playoffs on the line. But his question is, do you see us bringing back Mac, even if it's for well, a let's bargain? Let's stop there. Okay. If you don't mind. Um, it's... Uh, I, I, they would not have been fired, and I would not have fired them had I been Jim Irsay. But, man, the level of embarrassment had yes. Jacksonville come back and won that game. <sighs> I mean, I said on last week's podcast, it would have been – a loss to Jacksonville would have been the most embarrassing loss maybe in franchise history. So, yeah, I mean, I boy, I, I don't know how you felt, Chris, sitting there during that game, but I was just like, man. Well, I was going to have to eat some crow because the day before I tweeted that I want Urban Meyer to go to Jacksonville because I don't like the Ohio State University. And I was like, you know what? Bring Urban down to Jacksonville. I'd love to beat him twice every year. Oh, boy. And then, you know, points were made to me, obviously, that we've been splitting with Jacksonville the yeah, last couple right. of seasons. But right. And, yeah, and that could have been a second sweep. And, you know, <laughs> right. Doug Marone and whatnot. So, yeah, that was, um, boy, crisis averted. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor get a nice – Christmas present from mm-hmm. Frank Reich. Okay, what, what what's the question? So Brad's Marlon question Mack? is, do you see us bringing back Mac even if it's for a bargain? He says, I feel like we should try to let him be a number one somewhere else. Bringing him back would worry me. 
that we do this whole committee crap when clearly JT is already among top five backs. He just brings a different element to the run game. Thanks and happy New Year's. Appreciate that, Brad. Happy New Year to you as well. Um, first off, the Colts, they feel like they should let him be a number one back somewhere else. No, that's not how free agency works. You're selfish. Yeah. You try to bring back the guys that you think can help your football team, point blank, period. Um, very nice by Brad to offer that, though, um, by the Colts. I mean, you're one freak injury to Jonathan Taylor away from needing Marlon Mack. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing can happen. Mack had been pretty durable, really, his last two seasons. And then all of a sudden, the Achilles happens, non-contact, and here you are. So, no, I, I'm bringing back Marlon Mack as a, um, as a emergency, I don't know, emergency, I don't know, insurance policy is probably what, what, what I'd be doing. I'm throwing him into the competition. Like, yes, running back by committee, sure, but, like, you just at that position, considering what that means to your offense, you need to have more backs. And so I am bringing Marlon Mack back, and um, he would be in that room. I am mm-hmm. doing it with a full-on intention and sitting down with Tom Rathman in the offseason and knowing that Jonathan Taylor is our definite number one running back. But there's been times where Jordan Wilkins has been your number one back. There's been times where Jonathan Williams has been your number one back. Like that position has attrition, and Jonathan Taylor is very durable, but still. I'm covering my ass with that and making sure that I've got enough bodies in that backfield. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm bringing Mac back and not thinking twice about it. All right, final question for the podcast, Kevin. This one's from Roberto. He's a big fan of the podcast from Mexico. Oh, let's go. Um, he says, my question is, if the Jags approach you to offer the first overall pick and the call is on you, what are you offering for that? Let me say this, Chris. That uh, Saturday night Justin Fields performance. Mm-hmm. You know, you've heard me say before. I I think that um, <laughs> the Colts would have some interest in Mister Fields. Boy, that Saturday night performance is why. I mean, toughness. Yep. Throws. Yeah, that, that didn't look like the guy we saw against IU. Um, number one pick. I three first rounders. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe a little bit more than that. But yeah, I would. If I give him three first-rounders and can still keep, I don't know, you probably got to give him more than that. What are you drafting now? 21 at least, 22 mm-hmm. at least, something like that. With making the playoffs at 11-5. and five. But, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably give him that. Okay. think there's a possibility of us trading up for a left tackle? With knowing the fact that there's a lot of teams ahead of us that already probably have their franchise quarterback? Trading up for left tackle? Hmm... I don't know. I think if man, if you're gonna exhaust resources, I think it's gotta be quarterback. You think one falls to us then though, since I mean some quarterback I think will be there. I mean, hell, you know, Love was there at whatever, twenty three, twenty four the, the this past year. You know, there's five or six quarterbacks being rumored to be first rounders. Right. I mean, you're gonna have a choice there. I don't see five going in the first twenty picks, something like that. But more often than not, you gotta move up to get that guy. But you know, you guys have heard me say this so many times, and it's not like you've got to move up to one or two, though. I mean, look at right now the three best young quarterbacks in the AFC. I don't know. You could throw Jackson in there, but I won't even throw Jackson in there just for this. Josh Allen, 7 overall. Mahomes, 10 overall. And Watson, 12 overall. Mm-hmm. You know, you you don't need to go to one or two every year. Uh, Herbert, 6 overall. You know, right. it's not like you don't. You just got to make sure you find the right guy, which, again, uh, you'll never hear me say that's easy but it's necessary for a franchise. 
All right, Kevin, that wraps up Twitter questions for this podcast. Awesome. Um, you know, throughout these last few weeks, I've been collecting a ton from the off-season, so if you're curious kind of where your question might be, we've got a long kind of running log that we'll get to in the off-season. Like Chris and I were talking about earlier, beers with Bowen, Thursday night, 8 o'clock. If you have a question, you know, for that, shoot me a DM. Shoot shoot Chris a DM. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it interactive. We'll take some live questions as well. We'll definitely hit on that. Um, and, and lastly, you know, if you're a fan of this football team, I just think the next five or six days is so fun. Like, mm-hmm. this is what a fan is all about. Right. Of There are 18 teams outside of the playoffs sitting on a couch right now permanently, uh, you know, for the rest of the offseason. And, yeah, did I ever think Notre Dame was going to beat Alabama? No. But my heart at least felt that there was a chance at some point. And, you know, even for really till Ian Book's interception, I thought, you know, maybe believe in a miracle. But, like, this is what fandom is about. Like, your team is in it. Yeah. And the NFL playoffs, more so than any other one-and-done format, which obviously Major League Baseball and the NHL and the NBA are not one-and-done formats, crazy SHIT can happen. And especially in 2020. I thought Phillip Rivers pretty accurate after the game yesterday. Road teams, who knows? And that's the beauty of it, man. Like, it, it it's the beauty of it and it's the craziness of it. Of, like, you look at the Manning era and you felt like there should have been more runs mm-hmm. and deeper runs. But then the one run was a team that no one would rank as the top three team in that era. It's just you never, ever know how it's going to unfold. Right. Yes, you're a touchdown underdog. Yes, it's going to be a tough task on Saturday. But you know what? You're in it. You've got one of the hotter players in the NFL right now. And who knows? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Who, who knows? You're in the dance, and that's a big accomplishment. Um, there are still bigger goals and this franchise should have a higher bar than just being the last team in the playoffs moving forward. And it is difficult, theoretically, to go Buffalo, Kansas City, you know, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, whatever that path is going to have to be to get to Tampa in the playoffs. But um, you're in it, and that is uh, more than half the battle. Yeah. All right, man, Thursday night, 8 o'clock, YouTube. That's where we'll be. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and uh, yeah, 107.5thefan.com is all your latest Colts coverage.